Welcome to Spirits Podcast, episode 37, Rainbow Serpent. Happy Pride. Happy, oh, it's a rainbow just yeah. for me. Thank you. I did it just for you. Aww. You know I love you. Thank you, babe. And it's a really, really badass name and a really badass myth. Lots of you have requested it, so I'm really excited that we got to cover it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Amanda, to celebrate Pride and to celebrate the Rainbow Serpent, what are we drinking this week? Today we're drinking actually a drink that I made up. Really excited. Tell Thank me more. You. I am calling it the Garden Snake <gasps> because it's a non-alcoholic version of the Serpent's Tail Shooter, which is the drink we made for patrons this Ooh. week. And it is the dopest. You yes. gave me the recipe and I love it. Anyway, but I made this non-alcoholic version that actually today I added gin to. Anyway, the non-alcoholic <laughs> drink is lemonade with pomegranate juice um, and, and a little bit of lime or lemon, depending what you have on hand. Anyway, and you layer it, right? It's and you layer drink. it. Yeah, it's really pretty. Because um, rainbow. <laughs> I know. I know. Pride. And, uh, and I added gin because, you know, it's why not? Because it's spirits. Because I'm, I'm free and queer and it's 2017 and I can drink gin when I want to. I'm proud of you. Anyway, uh, if you're a $5 plus patron, you are getting that recipe in your inbox today and it is beautiful. Speaking of which, thank you and welcome to our new patrons, Colleen, Tiff, and Rudy. And as always, the biggest of all shout outs, the glitteriest of all pride banners, the biggest of all pride parades to Leanne, Shannon, Phil, Catherine, Christina, MCF, Megan, Sarah, Katie, Derek, and Deborah, our supporting producer level patrons. They rock and we love them. We love them so much. May you be covered in glitter this entire month, but in a good way, not in a, I can't get the glitter off me kind of way. May you be covered in glitter that actually comes off in your first shower. Yes. And you never see it again. I mean, that's good. Which never happens. Glitter yeah, responsibly, kids. <laughs> It's a monster. Glitter is a monster. Speaking of monsters, oh no. we are so close to having a monstrous amount of reviews and ratings <laughs> on iTunes. I need you to appreciate that pun. I can't I can't scowl at it because it's so good. It but yeah, so we're good. close to 200 reviews on iTunes. Yay! We also broke today the top 100 uh, of society and culture on the iTunes charts. Yes. So our... get in there. Subscribe, rate, review. Even if you use a podcast app that isn't Apple Podcasts, if you just like open the podcast app on your iPhone or iTunes on your desktop and just subscribe to us and like close it and never look at it again, that helps us out. It really does. That It super does. Even if you don't download it, subscriptions help for some reason on Apple. We don't know why. The inscrutable magic that is the iTunes charts. It's literal magic. Basically, I just want to break the top 100 of iTunes, guys. That's not, that's not just, too much to just ask. so much. Just a little pride gift from, from you to me. And this week, we want to thank Audible for returning as a sponsor for the podcast. Yay, Audible. Um, you guys may know the drill by now, but you can visit audible.com slash spirits for a free 30-day trial and a free audiobook. We have so many recommendations for you. We're going to bring them to you later in the episode, but that's audible.com slash spirits. Okay, cool. So uh, let's get to that episode, shall we? All right, y'all. Enjoy Spirits Podcast, episode 37, Rainbow Serpent. So Amanda, this week uh, is a topic that was suggested to us by a couple of people on Twitter, Ooh. Um, and I have been wanting to do it for a while, but since it's June and it's Pride Month, that I figured uh, this was the perfect time to do it. Uh, so this week we are going to talk about the Rainbow Serpent, <sighs> which doesn't really have anything to do with uh, Pride, but just rainbows and... But it's a rainbow. Yeah, it's a rainbow. I love it. All right. Let's do it. So let's do it up. First things first, uh, we should establish that the Rainbow Serpent or Rainbow Snake 
goes by both, so I'm probably going to be using both interchangeably through the episode. Cool. So don't get thrown off if you hear snake versus serpent or serpent versus snake or whatever. Nice. It's uh, not like alligator crocodile where there's an actual difference. Right. No, there is not an actual <laughs> difference in this situation. The literary word and the not literary word. Someone on Twitter is going to be like, actually, there's a difference between a serpent and a snake. And I'm just like, all right, fair enough. Not right now, though. So the rainbow serpent is a part of Aboriginal Australian culture. Um, but these stories and names of the serpent change depending on which tribe is telling the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for example, the Miali tribe uh, would refer to the rainbow serpent as Borlung, while the Kuli would refer to it as the Dakan. There's a million other ones as well, but uh, those are just some examples. But it's sort of like an overarching myth that is, you know, shared and interpreted by many different people. Exactly. So the term that we use now, rainbow serpent, um, was coined by an English anthropologist named Alfred Radcliffe Brown, uh, who noticed that the same concept was spread throughout the various Aboriginal cultures. Um, and while this term makes it seem like there's only one rainbow serpent, uh, it actually varies from culture to culture. Some believe that there's a singular serpent. Some believe that there are multiple snakes. Cool. So a lot of research that I was doing at the beginning of doing research for this episode kind of suggested that the rainbow serpent was a creator god and the most prominent religious figure. Um, But this is because most of what I was reading was through like a Western understanding. Yeah. Which, you know, uh, is a bit of a problem when you're uh, looking at a culture that is uh, kind of been colonized by... Western culture. So yeah, not like, great. Can't help but apply that sort of like monotheistic, you know, Judeo-Christian perspective to the myths. Yeah. Um, not to mention like if the cultures were oral traditions or like didn't have, you know, like written records in the way that, uh, you know, the kind of West is used to. Mm-hmm. So much is lost in translation. Yeah. Um, so when I was reading these stories and when they're told by Western researchers, they're often told in the past tense, which doesn't work for... It doesn't work that way with Aboriginal stories. So the problem is when these stories are told by Western researchers, it's in the past tense, which doesn't work because Aboriginal stories are basically told in an every when situation. So basically the concept is uh, in, I'll, I'll get into it a little bit more, but in this concept of dream time or the dreaming, um, everyone represents the concept of a time out of time. I see. So it's like before and during and in the past and and in the future and, you know, all that stuff all together. Yeah. So in the dream time, an individual's entire ancestry exists as one. And it culminates in the idea that all worldly knowledge is accumulated through one's ancestors. Whoa. That's kind of cool, right? And it's like, is it like a shared body of knowledge that that like you and then the future lineage accesses yes you know like at the same time and always and never and you know yes, all and that it's kind of shared stuff. through the oral tradition too yo um so this kind of tradition of the worldly knowledge all being shared uh it allows the people to see patterns and cycles of life so they can see like the cyclical nature of nature itself because they have the shared knowledge that passes on from decade to decade and generation to generation. Yeah, like inherited knowledge and actually listening to and learning from people who came before you. But that's that's amazing. Like I, I love that that makes the idea of heritage and history a living document mm-hmm. instead of just like, oh, my you know great-grandmother did this in her life and blah, and that's done. But like her like lived experience and her lessons and like, you know, ad infinitum through the past family history tree, like that can all be living and relevant now. 
Right. Um, and it's really cool because the cyclical nature of the dream time also becomes really important when you're telling the story of the rainbow serpent and what the rainbow serpent represents. Let's get into it. Okay. Um, but basically, I just I kind of went into the concept of the dream time because as we go through the story, I'm going to try my best to keep that in mind and try to encourage our listeners to keep that in mind that these stories both take place in the past, take place in the present and take place in the future. Love it. So the rainbow serpent helped create the land. So before the snake emerged, the earth was barren and featureless. The serpent came from beneath the ground, and when it pushed upwards, it created the ridges and mountains and gorges. Hmm. The rainbow serpent was known to be huge, though of course it depends on how large from story to story. You know, it could create the entire uh, continent. It could be, you know, it could fit in just a plain water hole. It depends on what story and the need of the like height and width of the serpent you know what i mean yeah and i bet the features too of the area from which the the folks are telling it like if it's from a super like craggy mountainous area versus a sort of flat plain Mm -hmm. where the like undulations of the land are smaller um i bet that that you know maybe has an impact on on their size and version of rainbow serpent oh for sure and you know what that sounds like it sounds like a glacier which actually did shape shit which i love it's kind of great i love that do you remember in eighth grade earth science uh i don't know if your teacher did this he this teacher said like long island where we are from like exhibits like eight out of the ten major features of, of like glacial um i don't know like like passage or Formation. impact yeah. exactly like there's you know certain marshes and certain crags and certain like whatever um and i remember that was like the most earth shattering interesting thing i had ever read it was like science and my actual world connected for the first time because i was like oh shit like like i could put together that a glacier thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago had like carved out the the place where my house was uh and it was incredible that is really cool anyway glacial uh landscaping get into it (laughs) or giant serpent landscaping depending on what you believe in whatever it is a giant a gigantic force like carving carving features out of flatness like that's hell no matter what it is yes so the rainbow serpent is known to inhabit deep, permanent water holes, which is why it's connected to controlling one of the most precious resources in the culture, water. Duh. Obviously. Uh, since water is the source of all life, the rainbow serpent is also associated with being the creator of everything for some of the cultures. Again, this is one of those things where it depends on which culture we're talking about. Everything meaning like plants, animals, yes, life. Yes, because yeah. everything comes from water. Which it does. Yes. So the link between the snake and the rainbow suggests the cycle of the seasons, uh, meaning like the rain, the rainy seasons bringing and refilling the water um, versus the dry season. So it's the importance of the snake kind of coming and going cyclical, kind of like what we talked with with Biavi. You know exactly and you brought up time earlier like even though time is sort of a, a malleable construct mm-hmm. or there exists like a realm outside of time that mm-hmm. that dream time represents um it it makes total sense that like the the thing by which we count time which is the passage of the seasons like that that is how we make our year calendar you know yeah. and, and like our, our the biggest kind of clock that we can count by um like the rainbow serpent if it's associated with water like that is it seasons are nothing but like the description of the way that the water and the earth interact at that yeah. given moment in time you know like it it makes sense that those are that those are together right and it kind of uh highlights how important the rainbow serpent is to certain cultures because if they don't have this water and the water doesn't come for a season or whatever if the cycle is broken their lives are over basically 
Is there any like contemporary discussion of um, Rainbow Serpent and climate change? Oh, buddy, we're going to talk <gasps> about that. That was, you guessed the theme of the episode already. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I spoiled it. No, it's okay. But I, I Julia, love when you do. But, but time is a flat circle. So like I haven't discovered it already and we've already talked about it. So when the rainbow is seen in the sky, it is said to be the rainbow serpent moving from one water hole to the other. Whoa. Uh, and the divine, and this is a divine concept that explains why the water holes never dry up even when drought strikes. I love that. It's kind of a gorgeous like imagery, right? Yeah. I, I love that a lot. I just, the rainbow being the serpent moving across the sky to somewhere else that needs more water. I love that. And and also this idea of the water hole as something eternal and sort of unmoved by like the machinations of the day to day. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That like underneath the earth, there is something like primordial and, and like a heart to it and a gut to the world mm -hmm. that um, are kind of, you know, messing around day to day can't, um, can't mess with. Yeah. Um, so let us take a quick like sidebar um, and talk about the rainbow serpent's form. Sure. Uh, because a rainbow serpent's form actually, despite, you know, the very vivid imagery that the name suggests, changes from uh, culture to culture. Even their gender varies from group to group. So some see it as male, some see it as female, some consider it uh, gender ambiguous or um, intersex, you know, uh, hmm. portraying both uh, sexual yes. organs. Some Western commentators, which like, uh, mm -hmm. uh suggest we, that we need, we need like an air horn or a sound like, effect for like problematic Western perspective. Probably oh. doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> um, suggest that the rainbow serpent is a phallic symbol. Um, but in many representations, the serpent is depicted with breasts. So I'm not sure about that. That seems a little bit contradictory. Yeah. Also like not all, not all objects that are not spheres are phallic symbols, y'all. Um, but anyway, uh, so the fun part too is that the rainbow rainbow serpent isn't always a serpent. Nice. Um, the rainbow serpent can sometimes be associated with a bird, a crocodile, a dingo, a lizard. All, you know, animals that make total sense. Yeah, but basically um, the commonality between these forms is that they're all associated with water in the uh, Aboriginal Australian culture. And so, all partake of water, yes, probably are found well, around watering holes. You know. So that, uh, that makes sense. Um, so the... Rainbow serpent is also associated with the bunyip, which I'm, I'm going to test your Harry Potter knowledge. What do you know about bunyips, Amanda? Oh, shit. I know the word. Nope. Okay. Um, so bunyips are basically water hole dwelling evil spirits that are feared by the Aboriginal Australians. They, they kind of represent, they're, they're always weirdly shaped and they're kind of hippo-y, but more gangly is Ooh. a great way to describe it. I don't like that at all. And it's one of the uh, animals that Remus Lupin has like, in a cage teaching the students about uh, during his Harry Potter. Remus Lupin. Yeah. Can we just pause to recognize that Such he was the best teacher of all time at Hogwarts? That is hot true. Hot take, hot take. He had like appropriately leveled challenges for his students' mm -hmm. like ability. He had hands-on learning opportunities. He did. He was super conscientious. And like when, when Harry had the potential to like summon Voldemort as his boggart, Remus was like, let's just wait second and like <laughs> didn't let that moment, happen please. and he he just like took an interest in his students he was totally appropriate and like didn't freaking pry into their lives mm -hmm. he uh, he let people to come to him instead of prying into this right bullshit. he was like open if people needed mm -hmm. some freaking consolation and, and and confidant but oh ramus i just want you to be happy well he's not because he's dead now fuck you julia oh, i wait, know that spoiler alert to michael <laughs> schubert <laughs> sorry 
My bad. I'll have to text them before the seven. I will be like, just at blah, blah, blah time. Please don't listen to it. Just skip it. So that is about the form of the rainbow serpent. Uh, But first things first, Amanda, I need a refill. All right. Yes. Let's go and refill our garden snakes. So this week, we would love to thank Audible for returning as a sponsor. I'm really pumped about this. Audible rocks. And they they also uh, were just super like sweet and just reached back out to and like it's just it's been super pleasant to, to work with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but more to the point, listeners, they have tens of thousands of audiobooks, so many um, that you can enjoy, and also really detailed customer reviews, which I super appreciate. Mm-hmm. So you not only you know choose the book based on what the book is, but if you care about the narrator, about the cast, about the kind of production behind the the audio, um, you know people talk about that so you can kind of like make an informed choice oh yeah because the person reading the audiobook can make or break the performance and the enjoyment of the book and there are so many good ones um in audible we love listening to audiobooks when we're driving to the beach and recently i actually listened to a super creepy and cool book that i know spiriters are gonna love so it's born b-o-r-n-e by jeff vandermeer now i think i've talked in the past about how annihilation is one of my like favorite books ever it's a very good book it's a very good book by jeff um but now you know, I don't really love creep for creep's sake. Like I don't, you know, I don't like being scared necessarily, but Jeff's stories are so immersive and his writing is so full of detail and character while not being like overly creepy or overly literary. Like he strikes this amazing balance where he tells like human stories in a beautiful way that also happen to be like creepy AF, um, which is my favorite kind of like speculative fiction or sci-fi. So um, the audiobook is really great. It's very much feels like a, um, a kind of oral story. So mm-hmm. it makes a lot of sense for it to be listened to in audiobook form. Nice. Um, so I really, really recommend it, Born by Jeff Vandermeer. And I would like to suggest to our listeners uh, The Natural History of Dragons by Marie Brennan. Yeah. Um, I got the recommendation from one of the Our Fair City Boys. Um, and Great audio drama if you haven't listened to it already. I mean, obviously. Um, but, oh my God, it's so good. Um, basically, the concept is a Victorian alternate universe where dragons exist Mm -hmm. and this is the memoirs of a woman who would later become a dragon studier someone who studies dragons specialist Uh, but this is her first expedition after getting married to go meet dragons for the first time it's very interesting and very well written and i love it so much it's like it's like charlie weasley the summer after graduating hogwarts yes but a a lady lady, like a a victorian Victorian woman so good oh god it is excellent and i highly recommend it because i think our listeners would love a good dragon story and you can try either one of these books or like whatever other one you want by heading over to audible.com slash spirits. You will get a free 30-day trial and a free book. That is an awesome deal. And it is a great deal. If you're anything like us, you're doing a lot of travel this summer and audiobooks are an awesome way to pass that travel time, driving time, train time, whatever you're doing. Or just your daily commute too. Exactly. Your, your daily journey. Um, and we are so grateful to Audible for sponsoring us again. So go show them some love. Help us out as well by signing up for that free trial at audible.com slash spirits. Do it. All right, let's get back to the show. Yep. So Amanda, you're probably wondering why the rainbow serpent is so important. I mean, creating the world and controlling water sounds pretty important to me. I mean, me. yes. But tell um, me more. But so we're talking about a cross section of cultures that lives in a fairly dry and arid environment. 
Yeah, lots of Aussie. At first, I was like, surely Australia can't all be a desert, you know, based on my just like preliminary understanding. Yeah, of I don't the world. want a stereotype or anything. But like but... a lot of Australia is desert. Exactly. Um, but and that's why this kind of creature is so important because the environment becomes super important in the explanation as to why myths exist. Yeah, so you're like going to get finding feature. Right, like you'll get water myths around places with very large rivers or by the ocean or something like that. Myth or is Bayavi o- in the Arctic Circle exactly. where there's no sun for exactly. a lot of the year. Myth is so defined by weather and environment so often. So this is yeah. a really great example of that. And I feel like we don't talk about that enough. Yeah, about the like, you know, IRL origins and influences of myth. Yeah, exactly. And like whether you want to talk about that as like a secular anthropological like influence over why a certain story arises, or you want to talk about it as like, that's what the spirits needed to contend with. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like whatever your kind of view on a particular myth, there is a way to reconcile the circumstances around its origins. For sure. Um, so the serpent will move across the land. His travels can be sporadic at times, which is understandable because the seasons aren't always exact. That makes a lot of sense. I like that a lot. Like, oh, the, the serpent just took a detour. Oh, oh, she's just early today. Yeah. Um, so as it moves, it replenishes the stores of water. It forms gullies and deep channels as it slithers through the landscape, which is a great imagery. Oh, I love that so, so much. So good. Um, without the snake, the Australian aboriginals believed that no rain would fall and that the earth would dry up. Wow. Which is, you know. Sounds you, prophetic. We already talked about our lens, but we'll we'll continue on. All right. So along with the eponymous rainbow, the rainbow serpent is also associated with the ring around the moon on nights before it would rain. Yeah. You know what, I, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, you know yeah, the like glow, the haze. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a halo. It's a very witchy thing, too. It is super witchy. Yeah. If you see a ring around it, it means that evil's coming or something like that. Anyway. Also, we know lots of sailors and, you know, we spend lots of time on boats on the summer. Yes. And so the, you know. The red sky at night sailors delight kind exactly. of Exactly. So it was said thunder and lightning were to stem from the rainbow serpent when it was angry and it could cause powerful rainstorms and cyclones. Yo. Which is kind of crazy. What would it get angry at? It just, you know, it's it's a snake. It's a it's still an animal. It's not a super peaceful thing. Um, right. And I'll tell you a story later about an angry a rainbow serpent story. I'm excited and nervous. <laughs> you should be. <laughs> <laughs> so in order to invoke the rainbow snake, items most closely associated with it are quartz crystals and seashells. Uh, both of those very witchy. Yes. I like them a lot. I'm super liking the witchy like vibes that are coming off the rainbow snake. I'm I into know. it. The, like, I wouldn't have guessed quartz crystal, but especially like we are from the beach and, you know, shells are like important and otherworldly and yeah. primordial. Well, I'll explain why the quartz, because quartz in particular has a prism-like appearance, which if oh. you shine light through a prism, it creates Mother a rainbow. Of God. I know. Isn't that good? So good. Oh, God. They just think of everything. Since you asked, I will tell you a rainbow serpent story. So this is a story of the Wawalag sisters. This story tells about how the sisters were traveling together when the older sister gave birth. Okay. Um, During the birth, her blood flows into the water hole where the rainbow snake is living. Like it does. Um, In another version, this is the sisters are traveling with their mother and the serpent is merely angered by their presence in its territory. Okay. So it's kind of a territorial kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so when they leave, the rainbow serpent traces the scent back to where the sisters are sleeping in their hut, which in some Yikes. in some cases they're like, 
Oh, it's a, it's a uterus metaphor. I'm just like, is it though? Like, is it a uterus metaphor and it's penetrating the hut? I don't want to go there. Listen, listen, it sounds, it sounds like that's the, the critic's issue for having certain stuff on the mind. Yeah. Not all, not, not all non-spherical shapes are phallic. Yes. As not we said. all things that you can enter are uteruses. They're not just vaginas. Hot take. <laughs> Hot take, not vaginas. <laughs> what if I taught like Freudian literary criticism at Hogwarts? Oh. They just, they need a literary criticism class. I'm just and saying it right now. They also need a sex education class, but that's an they entirely different all story. all kinds of education. And, and what if like one, just like one day when like the third years learn about like gender roles or about like pronouns and then they just like, just their minds are blown and they, and they just, like a, a big part of the, I don't know, stresses of like middle and high school is that all this learning is asynchronous talking about time mm-hmm. right like people learn about gender and sexuality and feminism and uh, you know politics at different times yes so people who learn too early are made fun of people who learn too late are made fun of like it's just hard yes. and if that shit was it's taught a bell to curve you kind of situation exactly and like if that shit were taught to you on the same day where everyone like where everyone like at the end of the day like goes to, the, to their you know boyfriends and girlfriends and is like are you enthusiastically consenting like how sweet would that be mm-hmm. it would be cute Oh, you would do a good job at that. I would be the the next gen Ramus Lupin. Yes. What would your badly named uh, J.K. Rowling name be? Then? <laughs> like Mooney Moonface. Yes. Mine would be like like Bookish Bookington or something. <laughs> Bookish Bookington. <laughs> it has to be relevant to the topic that you're teaching too. So then mine would be like Querio McGay or something. Oh my God. Hey. <laughs> my robes would be rainbow or have like like a rainbow scarf. Why aren't rainbows bigger at Hogwarts to show inner house unity? Do you think that Quirrell might have also taught, uh, like, queer studies because his name was, like, Quirius Quirrell or something like that? His name had a Q in it? No, it just kind of sounds like... Because <laughs> I was trying to make your sound more um, J.K. Rowling-y. So more I was witchy, like, yeah. Instead of Quirio, I was going Quirius. I'm like, that sounds exactly like Quirrell's first name. No, I think I think Quirrell was, was so fully narcissistic that there wasn't even, like like a setting for sexuality because his only like interest and attraction was to himself. Uh, Okay. Well, that's more, uh, Gilderoy Lockhart, but I feel you. Oh fuck. I was thinking about Gilderoy Lockhart. No, Quirrell's the one that had (laughs) the dude in the head. No, no, no. Poor, poor Quirrell. The last thing I want is for him to also have to deal with being queer (laughs) when he has to have the fucking dark Lord in and on his head. That would explain a lot about his character though. I think. I mean, he he was played kind of like effeminate and um and like uh, subordinate, mm-hmm. but you know he had Voldemort in him. I don't blame him. So I don't know, poor guy. Yeah, he didn't deserve what he got. No, he did, he did better. And like, what a change between Quirrell in year one and Lockhart in year two. Holy shit! Do you think yeah. maybe that like J.K. was? Uh, She's Joe... like, I'm sorry, this was too serious in book one. No, but was was Joe just like sublimating exes into the Harry Potter books? It's 100 percent Scott Pilgrim, except Joe put like yeah her exes into terrible. Teachers. Oh my god! Wait, I think we've arrived at a unified theory. We have. What this if year it. one was like a person that she had dated in the past who was like you know not. Uh, I don't know, assertive enough and not ambitious enough and mm-hmm. she wasn't really into it. And then she like had some freaking good hookups and or dating and, you know, dated someone who she thought was out of her league and he ended up being super narcissistic, but funny. And yeah. like, it was a funny story in retrospect. That was uh, Lockhart. And then but, oh, book sorry, three. But was Lockhart like a good, Lockhart was not a good guy. No, he wasn't. He wasn't. He was, he, he was and, a good story, Julia. He was a good story. Was he? Because he was kind of evil. 
He was I mean, he was making people forget about all the good things they had and then stole them from him. I mean, he he's like pedestrian, like in like I think the IRL inspiration of it was like pedestrian evil. Okay. Like pedestrian, just like being so right, self-centered, right. but also like <laughs> after compelling. the guy who was literally possessed by the Dark Lord. I yeah. guess you needed that pedestrian yeah. level. Okay. And like and like we've all dated a Lockhart, you know? Like we all have people in the past where we're like, that guy was like feeling himself so hard and it's, you know, mm-hmm. like I just I see that being like someone that she like hooked up with or crushed on or dated and was just like, This guy, man, and just like immortalized him in fiction. And then book three, she meets her husband. Yes. She meets her adorable husband, whose name I think is Neil. Okay. And uh And, and Neil was Remus. Exactly. And was just like dependable and lovely. And she, you know, again, like got inspired and Remus's character is his own character, but like he like marries a younger woman later in life and like they I don't know. And then just... the rest of them were just plot points. Exactly, exactly. The fourth one was in a trunk. Yeah. He just wasn't there. <laughs> he was point, also evil. At that point my theory falls apart, yes. admittedly. It, we get to book three and we're good. We should check that timeline. Anyway. Rainbow Serpent? Rainbow Serpent. <laughs> Moony McMoonerson. Serpent McSerpentson. The Rainbow Serpent follows the sisters back to their hut. Oh, no. I've gotten giggly. Uh, he enters the hut uh, and then eats them all and their children. Okay. Uh, did that kill your giggles? <laughs> that really sobered me I know, up. Thank there you, Julia. Go. Thanks so much. Um, but the Rainbow Serpent later regurgitates them after being bitten by an ant. Whoa. Okay, there's so much happening. Um, and then the serpent is able to speak with their voices after he vomits them up. So he's able to teach them in their own language Whoa! and their descendants how to um, like tap into sacred rituals and how to respect the rainbow serpent. And they came back okay? Yeah, they were fine. It's like a better version of the Little Red Riding Hood myth. Yeah. Or, I mean, better, but different, wherein they, they did nothing wrong. Yeah. Like, she just, like, provided new life into the world. Mm-hmm. Sorry. And, and like, it's a swallowed and regurged by the rainbow snake. Right. Um, so this kind of leads to the oral tradition. So the mm. idea that the rainbow serpent could speak their language and therefore teach them uh, its ways. But, like, like, I love nothing more than discussions of language as, like, a living and organic thing yes and it is so that idea is so cool to me that just like contact with and ingesting a person like leads to you keeping their like key of communication to the outside world i do love that quite a lot uh so because we have this oral tradition that's passed down from generation to generation i just want to talk about a little bit uh how it's worshipped yeah uh so the rainbow serpent is worshipped through rituals and cultural artifacts which include just artwork song etc there's not really a written record so much but sure uh, the earliest known rock drawings of the rainbow serpent date back to uh, more than 6,000 years ago. Yo. Um, and they are associated with being a healer and can pass its properties as a healer to humans through ritual. The folks who worship and draw rainbow serpent? Yes. Whoa. I'm going to do like a little bit of a like warning. So like if blood and menstruation are not your jam, I would skip maybe five or so minutes we'll put in like the show notes like where you can skip this we'll put the timestamps. um but i'm gonna start the segment off with let's talk about blood Woo. um so the rainbow serpent is associated with human blood okay especially circulation and the menstrual cycle which like the lifeblood thank you rainbow yes. serpent yes that's correct so female menstruation for the indigenous australian cultures is considered sacred 
um, because it, it be. distinguishes the time in which a female is capable of bringing life into the world, putting her on the same level of creative abilities as the rainbow serpent. Yo. Isn't that fucking beautiful? That is pretty beautiful. I love that so much because, so, you know, my main study was Abrahamic religions, yeah. which um, basically focus on you shouldn't touch a woman when she's on her period because she is dirty. Right, seen as as a like blemish on what is otherwise normal. Whereas right. instead of it being like, oh, okay, like I'm sorry, like this is the Super Mario Star bonus time of your biology, where you can like you can produce life like a god. I know it's it's beautiful. Yeah. I love it so much. Um, so interestingly, um, men will actually try and mimic this whole process um, by cutting their arms or penises. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Um, and letting their blood run over their own bodies, um, each other's bodies, and then sometimes over a woman's uterus, which I don't recommend. But then again, you know, I mean, this is a cultural thing. I'm not going to practice safe ritual cutting. Yes. Uh, is it is it a thing that you do periodically? Like, like what yes. is the use of this practice? Um, it's the use of it is basically to also channel that creative ability and to as be like a divine closer. bonding. Yes, exactly. Yeah, type thing. Um, speaking of which, men will also mix their blood with a woman's menstrual blood, so letting them flow together in a ceremonial unification of the sexes. I sort of take that. Because as we talked about in a lot of the cultures, um, the rainbow snake is uh, intersex. Yeah, or, or, or a gender. Yes. Whoa. I wonder how, um, how trans um, indigenous Australians feel about that. That's a really interesting you know? question. Because um, it, it like, you know, I get a little bit uncomfortable with sort of like gender essentialism, like, yes. you know, all, all women this, all men that, like, et cetera, you know, right. your, your biologies differ. Um, but I, I don't know, like, I, I bet there's super smart people thinking and writing about that kind of thing. It's definitely not something I researched, but I would love to hear people's opinions on that. Yeah, because yeah. I feel like that would be a really, really interesting topic to talk about. Exactly. That's your area of study. Like, and I mean, especially because there is no assigned gender for um, the rainbow snake. It mm -hmm. sounds like there, like there is a way for every body and every biology to relate to, you know, them. Yes. In, Everyone um, in can that make that connection with the rainbow snake, which I love. Yeah, exactly. Because you're just saying like, like there's a way for people who don't menstruate to, you know, channel that divine relationship as well. Mm -hmm. So actually, um, I think he's coming around now. Like that, that you know, I, I dig that a lot. Yeah, it's it's really beautiful actually. Um, so I kind of want to just wrap things up um, where I want to discuss just the rainbow serpent as a creator who one is associated with women and fertility um, and the cyclical nature. And it's one of the few uh, cultures where menstruation isn't shamed. And then secondly, I want to talk a little bit about um, a being that is a reviver of natural resources. I think it's especially fascinating because we're talking about an arid land where uh, we have a being that brings back life by bringing water. And I'm curious as to how these stories are going to change uh, and become potentially apocalyptic, which, you know, is my favorite thing Yeah. Um, with climate change uh, and this life-giving water is going to become more and more scarce. What's interesting is that we haven't discussed a destruction element mm -hmm. of this narrative. Right. Like the whole kind of point of apocalypticism and rapture, you know, in, yes. in the sort of Christian tradition as well, is um, is the sort of wiping clean of the slate mm -hmm. and either transporting people to a different realm where you can reset or destruction as like a reset button for a world that has been be become like, you know, irrevocably 
um, damaged, yeah, damaged and like contaminated. Mm-hmm. But it sounds so far like like Rainbow Serpent is kind of constantly remaking. Yes. Um, and you know the the sort of image as a rainbow being almost like a comet's tail. Yes. You know, of like marking, um, you know, movement from one area to another with this like eternal well of life and goodness at the center of things. Yeah. Um, that's a really optimistic reading, but at the same time also really dire because like you can measure you know, we, we can measure how earth is becoming warmer and, you know, fresh water is disappearing and like mm-hmm. all these kinds of things. Um, and, and tying those natural resources so directly to like life and divinity, I think is the only appropriate like measure of yeah. how important this issue actually is. No, I think that's spot on. And I think that it's going to be really interesting to see how that changes in the future yeah. and how this sort of storyline is affected because when a cycle begins to break and when a cycle begins to change that irrevocably changes the story yeah and it's going to change a lot of just the way that the being is viewed and how the culture has to adapt and i'm very i mean it's a horrible situation to be put in but i'm very intrigued as to how it's going to adapt Yeah. And like how, especially returning to that concept of dream time, Mm -hmm. you know, what lessons that uh, sort of ancestral, not body of knowledge, like does and does not have to offer, right? Like, is there precedent? Um, Because we know, like, geologically, in the world, there have been, you know, ice ages and warm periods and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, like this kind of cyclical nature of climate is a thing. But we also know that what's happening currently is a radical departure you know, unprecedented in that record. Yeah. So like what does kind of dream time and, and what does like inherited knowledge have to say about that? I'm super intrigued too, because not that I want to tie in a non-Western religion with yeah. a Western religion, but I'm, I'm vaguely reminded of the Norse. Yeah. The Norse who understand, you know, that their entire life is a cycle and they know how it begins and how it ends yeah. and that it will restart after it ends. And I'm curious to see if this is a situation where this is a cycle that is going to end and that the cycle will have to restart with new new characters, new gods, new spirits, that sort of thing. And I'm, I'm intrigued by that. And we haven't mentioned yet, but the idea of the Ouroboros, yes. which I actually don't know the mythological origins of. I just know it as a symbol, mm-hmm. which is a snake eating its own tail. Like it's a, yes. you know, it's a circle and the head of the snake, like the mouth is open and the, and the tail is going in. Um, and just that, I don't know, that message or that image comes to mind so often for me in life. Right. Um, because everything is cyclical. Every end is, you know, like every end's a beginning. Mm-hmm. The idea of reincarnation is so central to human experience across geographies. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, but like, that's the, that's the kind of point of climate change is like, there is no reset button for yes. earth and there's no undo and there's no, um, you know, no planned like rebirth of the natural resources that mm-hmm. we are getting rid of. Um, and so I don't know that, that is, that makes it so different, right? And like, it, it feels like every time we try to apply precedent or narrative mm-hmm. to what's occurring, it's so hard because there is like, it's, it's I don't know, it's grand and it's absolute. And the consequences are so high in a way that like our narratives don't account for. Yeah. Um, it, this reminds me of a comic that I saw someone write. Um, but basically the the point of the comic was the earth is not going to die from global warming. Humans are going to die and our time will be up. 
but the earth will find a way to keep going and life will keep going even if we as a species and like other mammals and whatnot can't keep surviving right the fucking badass like protobacteria exactly like, you know terraforming lava into soil life will keep going even if humans don't and i'm 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 a little sad about that idea, obviously, because then we lose the the mythology and the cycle ends yeah. for humans, so our stories end, but um, the earth doesn't end, which is a little bit a little bit hopeful. I mean, not for us, but just in general, is a little hopeful. We've reached the apex of talking about death while drinking, Julia, where we talk about the heat death of the universe. <laughs> there we are. We're good. We're good. I think I think that's a good place to end it. Then I think so too. Okay, good. And like. Every death narrative has a resurrection narrative. Mm-hmm. Like every ambiguous death in Harry Potter has a headcanon where that person didn't die. Serious black. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know. There's there's ways. Oh wait, sorry, Mike Schubert. That was a spoiler alert. <laughs> Mike Schubert, I'm so sorry, guys. If you don't listen to Potterless, which is a dope podcast where a 25 year old man reads Harry Potter for the first time, and we are essentially co-hosts because we're Basically. on so often. Uh, it's it's really really good. But anyway. I forget what my point was. I'm just trying to be optimistic here when yeah. faced with the, the death of the planet. That's good. No, not we, death, we did a but good job. the change. Because yes. I don't know. Every like transition in life is, you know, past you dying and current you, you know, starting. I feel like we're going to get a lot of comments on Twitter be like, wow, that ended, <laughs> that ended quite dark. <laughs> okay. So what can we think of that isn't dark? Like fucking celebrating menstruation. Yes. Thank you. Cool. Slash all people in the world. Like, this is from whence you came. Yeah. It is the primordial lifeblood. It is the spring from which human beings emerge. As people who menstruate, we appreciate this. We super do appreciate yes. this. And, like, I'm, I'm all for, like, the normalization of bodies. Mm-hmm. Like, bodies produce, you know, like, bodies produce stuff. Like, yes. I'm sorry. I That's don't know. true. Growing up in, like, puritanical, sanitized America, it's, it's <laughs> you know, I don't know. Acknowledging menstruation is just nice to talk about. It is. Blood. <laughs> Man, what what other uh, controversial topics can we discuss in this episode? I don't think we. I think we hit our limit. We even we have hit our limit. Yes. Okay, so like you know, biology doesn't determine gender. Yes. Okay. Time cool. is a construct. Uh, climate change exists. Climate change exists a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, menstruation is super normal yes. and like you know, don't be scared. Your body is fine. Your body is fine. Your partner can be involved in that. Like it's not like a shameful thing. Yeah. Um. Snakes can be whatever gender they want. <laughs> Snakes can be whatever gender they want. Mm-hmm. Ramus Lupin's the best teacher in Harry Potter. That is true. Get at me at Spirits Podcast. <laughs> okay, okay. I think we're good there. So uh, stay creepy. Stay cool. Spirits was created by Julia Shafini and me, Amanda McLaughlin. It's edited by Eric Schneider with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Subscribe to Spirits on your preferred podcast app to make sure you never miss an episode. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Tumblr at Spirits Podcast. On our Patreon page, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast, you can sign up for exclusive content like behind-the-scenes photos, audio extras, director's commentary, blooper reels, and beautiful recipe cards with custom drink and snack pairings. If you like the show, please share with your friends and leave us a review on iTunes. It really does help. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time. <laughs>